You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6pm on May 21, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. Well, we've uh, been working our way through the Gospel of John. We've still got some more to, more to go, but we're now going to be looking only at three verses tonight and in chapter 19. So our reading is from chapter 19 and we're going to look at uh, verse 28 to 30. After this, now remember the context, Jesus is on the cross, okay? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider this, um, these three verses, Lord, and this final words of Jesus, it is finished. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us greater understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how you find work. Uh, for some of us, we might find work to be a drag. Whilst for others, it, it's what makes us tick. How do you feel after completing a work chore. For some of us, we're just happy that we're able to do it. For some of us, us, it's the reason why we get up each day. Now, I just wonder whether you build anything from scratch. I guess if you build a house, you follow the progress from the foundations to the frame, to the roof, and then the fit-out. Then after painting and a final inspection, you're, you're finally satisfied and you can finally say, it is finished. Now, years ago, Michelangelo, an artist, was he was considered to be one of the great artists of his time, especially during the Renaissance. His sculptures of the Pieta in St Peter's in Rome and the David in Florence are just magnificent. At the time, uh, the uh, Catholic Pope, Julius II, he commissioned Michelangelo to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. This chapel is situated next to St Peter's in Rome. Now, Julius and Michelangelo, to say the least, had a very testy relationship. Michelangelo was touchy, he was irritable, and he was quick to anger while the Pope was demanding, intrusive, and also quick to anger. Michelangelo had never considered himself to be a painter. He only considered himself to be a sculpturer. So over three years, he grew increasingly resentful of the project that he was given to paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Through his faith, however, he remained dedicated to its sacred vision. He was constantly under pressure from the Pope to finish it. 
When are you going to finish it? And having worked himself to exhaustion, it finally was finished. And of course today it remains one of the great masterpieces of the Renaissance. It's certainly worth the waiting queues and the long uh, passage that you have to travel through in, in the Vatican Museum to eventually view it. Soon afterwards, uh, Julius died, but Michelangelo continued with a 40-year nightmare to finish a grand tomb for this Pope. Certainly his work is seemed as if it was never done. And that might seem familiar to some of us. Our work is never done. Our work never seems to finish. There's always something to do. But when we come to John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30, Jesus in verse 30 utters three words, three very important words, and he says, it is finished. Now, you can say those words after I finish this sermon. Well, what did Jesus finish? What has been finished? Now, some people conclude that all Jesus was saying at that particular moment, at that last moment before he died, was that he's had enough. I'm done. I'm exhausted. And I can take no more. My life is over. Now, earlier in verse 28, it speaks of Jesus indicating that he was thirsty. And Jesus had every right to be thirsty. In all probability, Jesus... Jesus' last liquid refreshment would have been many, many hours earlier. Perhaps when he participated in the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. But after that Passover meal, he'd walked with his disciples from the upper room in Jerusalem, past the temple and through the city, down into the Kidron Valley, up the other side to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would later be arrested. And then he would be escorted back to the city where he was questioned, first of all by the high priest Caiaphas, and then afterwards he was handed over to Pontius Pilate who had him whipped and had him scourged. And in the process, the Roman soldiers, in mockery, heaved upon his head a crown of thorns and then he was led out of the city again to a place called Golgotha, that is the place of the skull. And in all of this walking, he was carrying the very instrument and the means of his execution, his cross. So when we come to this last moment of his life, he indicates that he's thirsty and he was offered a drink of vinegar. Now, don't think that this action by the soldiers was an action of compassion. How many of us would like to have a mouthful of vinegar? For the vinegar wouldn't quench his thirst. Rather, it would, would further act to dehydrate his body. So when Jesus cries out, finally, it is finished, he wasn't referring to his own physical state. What was Jesus referring to? Well, Jesus was referring to God's plan of saving people and it was now complete. In fact, in the original Greek, in the language, 
The word that is used to convey the meaning, it is finished, means actually paid in full. (coughs) Paid in full. Now, grammatically, this word is what we call a perfect passive indicative. Now, I've just lost you all, haven't I? You probably didn't come here for a lesson in grammar. Certainly, there are better grammar teachers in this congregation than myself, so just be patient. But this particular Greek word is probably one of the most important words that Jesus said. Now, the grammatical structure of the Greek word as a perfect passive indicative is very important. Now, just let me try and explain this. The perfect tense, the perfect tense indicates that the progress of an action has been completed. The progress of an action has been completed. And the result of the action, of that action, is ongoing and with full effect. It's ongoing and with full effect. The passive voice indicates that the subject of the sentence is being acted upon. And the indicative mood indicates a statement of fact from the speaker's perspective. So when Jesus says it is finished, he's referring to his work of his death on the cross. It was now complete. There was nothing more to be done. But the result of his work is perpetual. The result of his work is ongoing. And to be sure, it is factual. So what did Jesus finish? What is the it in our three-word statement? Now, to answer this fully, it would take more time than we have tonight. But the answer is found throughout the Gospels and also by all the New Testament writers in the various letters. In Matthew 5, verse 17... Uh, next slide. Do not, it says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfil. Jesus obeyed the Father by being the perfect fulfilment of the law of God and the prophecies regarding the Messiah. Jesus finished the work given to him by the Father. And John chapter 6, verse 38 reminds us, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus finished the work given to him by the Father, by his Father. Jesus came as fully God and fully man to be the incarnation of the truth of God. And of course, we're reminded of John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus finished the work given to him by his Father. And when we come to the cross, what work is Jesus completing by his death? Jesus was only moments away from dying. The ultimate fact is that Jesus finished work is entirely dependent upon his death. And we read this earlier, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. In verse 25 it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. The text says Jesus came to be a propitiation by his blood. Now, don't be frightened off by that word propitiation, okay? This English word, propitiation. Now, whenever this word is used, in the majority of times in the scriptures, it means mercy seat, okay? Mercy seat. In the Old Testament, the mercy seat was the lid, it was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The lid, of course, was an inanimate object, an ornamental box, which in Scripture represented the presence of God. So when we think of the Ark of the Covenant, when we think of the mercy seat, we're thinking about the presence of God. Of course, it was housed in the, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, and then later in the temple, in that portion of the temple which was called the Holy of Holies, of which the high priest would go once a year into that particular part of the temple and offer a sacrifice. In effect, the mercy seat, it was a place of atonement where this high priest would sprinkle the blood of sacrifice for the atonement for sin on top of this mercy seat, on top of this ark in the Holy of Holies. And of course it was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is, is, is just a, a, a word for box, okay? Noah's Ark was really just a box. But inside this Ark of the Covenant was housed a few special things. The Ten Commandments. The tablets of the Ten Commandments were housed there. Aaron's rod and uh, some other things. But now Christ is the place that the mercy seat in the Old Testament where atonement now takes place by means of his death as a sacrifice. And in Christ's work of propitiation, this means that Jesus himself, by the means of his own death, as the ultimate sacrifice, is appeasing the wrath of God. Jesus came to make propitiation, to appease the wrath of God for your sin and mine. And he did this as a substitutionary sacrifice. Christ sacrificed himself for you and for me and he bore our entire penalty for our sin upon himself. If mankind was left to himself to atone for sin, then the penalty that God required was eternal punishment according to his strictest holy justice. But due to his love, due to his compassion for the sinner, God appointed Jesus to take mankind's place where redemption was achieved through his sacrificial death. Jesus paid the price. And the same word that means it is finished, remember it conveys 
to pay in full, to pay in full. Therefore, Jesus' substitutionary atonement is in effect, is in effect the highest form of mercy. The scriptures certainly teach that the death of Christ was a substitutionary sacrifice in that he took the place of all sinners, you and I, and our guilt, and this was credited to Christ. And our punishment transferred to him. We just sang about it. If, we didn't, if I didn't preach tonight, that last song just summed up the gospel beautifully in my view. Jesus finished the work given to him by his Father. And then we come to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So Jesus came to make reconciliation between God and man. He came to make it possible. And he finished the work given to him by the Father. And in in this process of finishing his work, it was achieved through his obedient life. And then, of course, through his substitutionary death on the cross. Of course, Jesus lived a perfect life under the law. He never sinned. He was the only one who could go to the cross and die for our sin. And when he came to make a way, remember he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. When he came to make a way, that way, the only way, for people to find mercy, grace and salvation from the penalty of sin, which is death. So Jesus declared his work finished. So having identified the it, what Jesus did through living out his life was to live perfectly on earth, never breaking the law, never sinning. His sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection fully completed the work the Father had given him. Not only did he complete his work of salvation, but what Jesus accomplished is fully effective. It's effective today and it's effective forevermore, for eternity. So there is nothing more to add. Nothing more to add. Nothing more to be done by God, man or any religious institution. The undeniable, factual, historic and eternal work of Jesus Christ has been completed, is complete and will forever remain completed. It is is finished. And of course it's finished at the cross. And the supreme judge of the universe brought down his judgment and poured the full cup of wrath against sin upon his perfect innocent son. So at the cross the great exchange took place where the eternal debt owed for the sin of sinners 
especially his elect, and this debt was fully paid. And God the Father looked upon his perfect, precious and priceless son and as if he had lived the filthy, detestable, sin-stained lives of fallen mankind. And for those who repent, for those who repent of sin and they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, God the Father looks upon them. He looks upon you also as if you've lived his son's perfect life. Precious and priceless life. Amen. At the cross, God kept his promise to crush Satan's head through his death. But ultimately, this was only like a bruise. Because three days later, Jesus rose. The, the promised seed that was to come, the promised Messiah, rose from death. The power of sin and death was vanquished once and for all time. Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross forever made man's work to appease God, to please God and to be reconciled to God. He made it a reality. The sin debt I owe to God was paid in full by my Lord and Saviour, my Master and King, Jesus Christ, when he shed his innocent blood on the cross on my behalf. It is finished. The implications of Jesus' last words are eternally positive for those who repent and believe and thus receive him as Lord and Saviour. By the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. However, the implications of Jesus' last words are eternally negative for any who who seek to add to, to detract from or replace not only Jesus' words on the cross, but also the work that he accomplished. Sadly, in Roman Catholicism, it denies the effective finished work of Jesus on the cross through the practice and observance of the Mass. For during the Mass, through the unbiblical teaching of transubstantiation, where it is taught that Jesus literally becomes the bread and the wine. Jesus must sacrifice himself again and again for sin. Jehovah Witnesses deny the effective finished work of Jesus on the cross by denying that Christ died on the cross and by insisting that the one must be member of the Watchtower Society and obey the law of God to receive salvation. Mormonism denies the effective finished work of Jesus on, on the cross by adding their perceived righteousness and works to their ungodly salvation process. Islam denies the effective finished work of Jesus dying on the cross by seeing Jesus nothing other than a prophet, second to their false prophet Muhammad. They also believe that it was Judas and not Jesus who died on the cross. Where they get that from, I'm not sure. And some churches deny the effective, finished work of Jesus on the cross by spending time and resources in wooing the unsaved to the Christian club instead of calling them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, to become a Christian, you must repent of sin. You must turn away from sin. And some churches deny the effective finished work of Jesus on the cross by diminishing the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. And this is demonstrated through gimmicks. It's demonstrated through sales pitches and, and playing to primeval desires of uh, health, wealth and prosperity, comfort and happiness without accountability. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. He meant it. He really meant it. For anyone to add or detract from Christ's words or finish work is the height of arrogance and the depth of depravity. Jesus' dying words as he breathed out his soul in verse 30, when he received the vinegar and he cries out, it is finished, and then he bows his head and gave up the ghost. All the malice and enmity of his persecutors had now done their worst. When he had received that last indignity of the vinegar and he said, it is finished, all the commandments of his father concerning his sufferings was now fulfilled. When he endured his sufferings, he cried to his father, your will be done. And now it is done. It is finished. All the types and prophecies of the Old Testament which pointed to the sufferings of the Messiah were now accomplished and answered. It is finished. The ceremonial law is abolished and the sacrificial law is abolished. The substance has now come and all the shadows are done away and the veil is rent in two and the wall of partition is taken down. It is finished. The penalty of sin is finished. An end has been made of transgression by the bringing in of an everlasting righteousness. The Lamb of God was sacrificed to take away the sin of the world and it is done, it is finished. His sufferings were now finished, both those of his soul and those of his body. The storm is over, the worst is past, it is finished. His life as we envisage it was now finished. He was just ready now to breathe his last. It is finished. The work of people's redemption and salvation is now completed. A full satisfaction is made now to the justice of God, a fatal blow actually given to the power of Satan. But a fountain of grace, peace and happiness has opened up that shall flow forever and shall never fail. Christ has now completed all his redemptive work and there is no more to do. It is finished. He completed his work of saving people through his death on the cross. And he meant it. But the question each one of us needs to answer personally is, did he finish his work for me? Did he finish his work for me? Did he die for me? And Jesus is calling out to you right now, to receive his free gift of salvation through his words, it is finished. He did die for you. And today he calls and he offers you salvation by believing in his finished work, his finished work of dying for you on the cross. 
and is calling you to repent of your sins and turn to him. And today I urge you, I urge you to believe in his completed work, his effective work, because it is effectual of his sacrificial death. But there's more. Death didn't contain Jesus. Remember that. Death didn't contain Jesus. Jesus is alive. We don't believe in a person who just died, but Jesus lives. Our Saviour is risen. Christ's work, yes, it is finished. And his work is also ongoing because today he's calling every one of us, every one of us here, to believe in him and accept his free gift of salvation. Jesus lived, Jesus died, but Jesus lives again. And Jesus saves any who would come to him and believe. And so, friends, all of us, let us come to him. Come to him now. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the completed work of Jesus, your Son, on the cross. We thank you because this is the means by which each one of us can be saved. We thank you that he lived perfectly under the law and he was prepared to go to the cross to die for us. May we never forget this. May we cling to this all our lives, all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn, song. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church. .org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.